Hi, my name is Katie Heisen. I report on equity issues as a Report for America Corps member at WUFT News. When I started this beat, I watched a YouTube video of Lynetta McNeely, an Alachua County School Board member, speaking at a community event in 2018 about the marching band at Eastside High. The moves that those people could do and the crowd would go wow. I'd heard of this band before. It's legendary in Gainesville for the way it used to embody joy and swagger and excellence and reflect the culture of the majority black school and the neighborhoods that surround it. But McNeely noticed something about the band today. When you look at the band now, I started wondering, where are the children that look like me? What happened to them? The majority of the students in the Eastside Band now are white students, and I wonder why. Why? What happened to this band? I couldn't shake her questions. It launched two months of reporting, during which I'd speak with over a dozen community members, school representatives, and band alumni spanning five decades. I looked in museum and newspaper archives and hunted through 50 years of yearbooks to find the answer. What emerged is a story of decisions made by school administrators following desegregation. Decisions that erased a traditional Black marching style from Gainesville. For the next half hour, hear from community members about why that loss still matters decades later. Let me read this to you, because this is something that I had put together because I was upset. I, Alonzo Young, just the other day I visited my high school, Eastside, that I graduated some years ago. I noticed there wasn't any history of the school beginning, which was developed after integration. I was sitting in Alonzo Young's living room in Lake Butler. Young was wearing a pinstripe fedora. He had printed out pictures of his time in the Eastside High School marching band in the early 70s. And he had printed out this Facebook post he was now reading to me. The school band has changed from a jamming marching band that was once known as Little FAMU, Florida A&M University, to a core style marching band. Young is upset about a change in the style of the band that was made more than 30 years ago. It went from the traditional marching style common to historically black colleges and universities, high steps, swinging instruments and dancing, to core style, stiff movements and glide steps. What can be done? Who can I talk with? Who will listen and do something to help our school return to our original tradition? This is a story of how the way high school students move on a football field at halftime can divide a town. 
It's a story about community, identity, and profound loss. Decades later, many are still asking for the traditional style to come back. Understanding why starts with a bit of background on... Integration. Oh, boy. In the late 60s, Young went to Lincoln High School, the secondary school for black students in Gainesville. This is where my brother graduated. This is where my sister graduated. This is something that we have. This is our school. When the federal government finally enforced desegregation at the end of 1969, most places in the country chose to close the black schools and force those students to integrate into white schools. That's also what happened in Alachua County. Lincoln students were sent to formerly white schools and two new integrated schools, Buholtz High on the west side and east side high. My name is John Dukes III. My father was John Dukes Jr., former principal of Eastside High School when it opened. Dukes didn't attend Eastside himself or play in the band. But like many longtime residents, he says desegregation came at a cost to the black community. He describes Lincoln as a safe space in a highly segregated, racist town. You know, we used to consider 13th Street on this side literally the magic line in, in Gainesville. Because once you crossed 13th Street and headed west, you were not in, as they say, areas where we lived anymore. And in fact, you probably were in a territory where you knew that if you had an encounter with, with a white person, it probably wasn't going to be pleasant. Because black residents could only live in certain neighborhoods, Lincoln's teachers were also the students' neighbors and family friends. You know, Lincoln was not just a school, it was a community. And it was a community center. It was an extreme loss. The school which gave them people who valued them as people. Suddenly, Lincoln's teachers and students were scattershot to new locations. It was all right to uproot you and send you across town into places, but, you know, you couldn't do that with white teachers and white kids. Don't know why, but that's the way integration worked. To integrate, the white school that was closed, Buholtz, was allowed to transfer its name to the West Side's newly built school. But the black school, Lincoln, wasn't. They weren't going to be able to go back and become the big red terriers at Eastside High School when you've got folks that are trying to literally erase the culture of Lincoln in order to send its students off into the world. To Dukes, this felt purposeful. He brings up a historical pattern of erasing communities with less power. If you look around the world, wherever, wherever people come in and they want to take somebody else's property and they want to make somebody's continent their own, you can't do that if you have a cohesive culture on that continent. You have to find ways to either kill the culture or divide the culture. The change was also jarringly sudden for Alonzo Young. He had gone home for winter break, and when he came back, Lincoln no longer existed. Many protested the closure. We was upset. 
I mean, we, we, we walk the street, we march, we even riot. <laughs> why you, why y'all closing our school down and keeping the white, we call it the white school open. Why, why do why, why are you doing this? It still even hurts today why Lincoln was closed. It was during this turmoil, walking the campus of a new school, that Young heard a sound that would change his life. I passed by the band room. I heard some, some instrument playing. And I, I opened the door, and that's the first time I met Mr. Richard Parker. Richard Parker had been tasked with starting a marching band at Eastside. He said, do you want to learn how to play an instrument? I always liked Louis Armstrong. You know, I love how Louis played the trumpet. I said, yes, I love to play a trumpet. He said, well, I can teach you, young man. Parker had once been a member of the legendary marching bands of both Lincoln High and Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University. And he taught that style of marching to Eastside students. Parker even gave Eastside FAMU's colors, orange and green, and for many, it was the next best thing to Lincoln Red. But they needed more than just new colors. The new school also desperately needed unity, identity, and spirit. All the things marching bands did best. For Eastside to succeed, Parker's band would need to succeed first, as a community. Eastside. Blacks and whites are together. So we're talking about two cultures. As I think of it now, it was beautiful. Many say Parker's band helped unify the newly integrated school. Young says it's hard not to become friends when you're together for so many hours a day. Roughly half of Parker's band was made up of white students. Together with black students, they were learning to move in unison and create one sound. We learned to, to get along with each other. We, we learned to play together. I mean, it was, it was fun. We just had a lot of fun. We taught them our culture in the band, and they taught us their culture. We, we even had to teach them. <laughs> We had to teach them, you know, how to do the moves and everything. And they taught us how they did their moves. It was bringing us together. And the music, oh, boy. The band could play classical on a dime. But Parker also wanted them to play the latest radio hits. We are playing uh, I'll Be There, as well as Chef, as well as play that funky music, White Boy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> The learning curve to get to that point was steep. To understand the work it took, I sat down with Parker's wife and daughter. Parker died in 2016. This is Mrs. Parker. The kids knew nothing about marching. But he was determined that that first football game, they were going to put on a show. And they did. But he says that the lines, you know, uh, were like, his words, were like snakes. <laughs> but they did a show.
that first performance, they would put on a different show at every Friday night football game. New choreography and new music. He made his daughter, Glenda, put the latest 45s on the record player while he transcribed the music for every single instrument in the band. He's writing the music and then he'll say, okay, stop, and I'll have to pick it up. <laughs> and then wait for him to say, okay, put it down, you know, and so we would do that until he wrote and then he'd say, okay, again, and we'd start all over again. Parker even penned the school's fight song, Ram Jam. (laughs) Writing the music took a lot of time, and Parker did much more than that. Almost all the alumni I spoke with called him a father figure. Many students shared that they came from single-parent homes. He bought them lunch when they couldn't afford it, gave rides home, and intervened when they were in trouble in the principal's office. He'd spend hours going over math homework with students at risk of failing. Mrs. Parker said those were hours he wasn't at home. The girls and I ate dinner alone every day (laughs) because he was out there at East Side with his band. Parker believed every student could participate in the band. If they couldn't read music, he taught them to play by ear, grabbed their drum, and showed them how to beat the rhythm. He really loved the kids, and it showed They loved him, and they would do anything to make sure they made Mr. Parker proud. Their willingness to work hard was crucial. The band's distinctive HBCU style, music, and dancing made East Side stick out. Parker knew that to pull that off, they had to perform perfectly. Alumni recalled long hours of practices, Parker saying one more time again and again, Parents parked their cars around the field and turned their headlights on so the band could practice long after the sun went down. Their work paid off. Eastside's marching band soon became known across the state as Little FAMU. Alonzo Young told me about these glory days. University of Florida, parade, homecoming parade, we was it. All, all of us, black and white, we are dancing. And, and the people uh, at the parade, they was following us. I mean, every time we do stop to do a dance, they would dance with us. It was a lot of fun. The Gainesville community would pack into Eastside's Friday night football games to see Parker's band perform. The schools in wealthier zip codes may have had better football teams or fancier cars in the parking lot, but Young and his East Side peers knew halftime belonged to them. Everybody wanted to be in the band, baby. (laughs) Everybody wanted to be in the band. It was the pride. It brought this feeling of being, being somebody, being part of something. East Side band was it. The community pride that was housed in Lincoln High before desegregation was now being carried by the East Side Band. It was something cultural that the East Side of Gainesville had. 
This is us. We have something. Since Lincoln is gone now, we got Eastside. And it went beyond community pride. For two decades under Parker, the band became a pipeline of opportunity. Many alumni earned scholarships to march in the bands of HBCUs like FAMU and Bethune-Cookman. Those alumni would return to teach the new students the latest dances and drills. Out of the pain of integration, Parker built something valuable. God sent him to us. But what Parker built would soon face pressure. In 1983, Eastside hired its first white principal and launched an international baccalaureate program. The IB uh, came later as a way of uh, honestly attracting white parents to Eastside. That was John Dukes. He's referring to how the IB program incentivized more white parents outside Eastside's school zone to send their children there which was becoming increasingly necessary in order to maintain integration. Like many places around the country, white people in Gainesville had moved farther away from black neighborhoods after integration. Over time, the white student population dwindled and dwindled and dwindled to a point where, I'm telling you, Eastside literally became Lincoln in terms of the look of the population. In the midst of this, Eastside's band was the only one in the area still marching in the traditional style. Those around Parker say he was increasingly pressured to switch to core style. But he managed to hold on to traditional style until he retired in 1990. The summer after he left, School administration held a meeting to introduce the band to their new director. That's when he, you know, formally introduced himself, handed out the sheet music, and started talking about like what we're going to be doing. And that's when eyes were big and mouths were open. That's Alicia Woodard McDonald, student body president and captain of the Color Guard that year, who I spoke to by phone. She said it was clear the band was going in a new direction. You'll now hear McDonald, along with Dukes and Young, describe this change. It was a disaster. <laughs> we went from high stepping to glide step. We had to like take whole you know weekends and learn how to look like you were gliding on the field as opposed to marching on the field. I mean, we had these elaborate formations and I mean, just everything changed overnight. It wasn't just the marching style. It was the music. Just think about it, if you're a kid, you go from playing whatever's popular on the radio every Friday night to now we're doing Phantom of the Opera. That is literally what we played. Duke says many spectators in Gainesville were tense for the first performance of the band under the new director. I mean, it was highly anticipated because people were concerned about what this might look like. Is it going to still hold on to the cultural values and the expressions of joy that you had in the way that joy was expressed on the field versus what you see when the other team's band is on the field? Those I spoke to said it was heartbreaking for them. 
joy as they expressed it, the way that had brought them so much pride, had disappeared from the field. I mean, we were almost booed. <laughs> like everyone comes to the game to watch the band dance and, the, you know, and it just none of that happened. And everyone just kind of sat there with their mouths open. Like what, what just happened? Like, where's the band? Where's the, where's the crowd favorite? Where the, what, what happened? In all honesty, whew, most of us said this is painful. It's painful. Band alumni say a majority of the band quit after that first performance. We were devastated. Young says the band no longer reflected the culture of the school or the neighborhoods that surround it. Knees and elbows that used to swing were now stiff. R&B and funk were swapped for classical. Nobody danced. The beat had changed. You're pulling away from the black culture and you, you, you're changing things now. Keep going with, with the, uh, the IB and uh, the, the cultural other things, but don't take this away from us. Don't take this away from us. To Young, it was history repeating. Just like you took our, our, um, our high school from us, now you, you have taken our band from us. So what next? <laughs> Beginning in 1998, a few band directors would try to bring the traditional style back, but it wouldn't last. A decade later, school administration once again mandated core style. Eastside has maintained core style since. The current band director, hired in 2009, grew the band back in size, but it's mostly non-black and IB students. Parker's legacy still remains large. After his death in 2016, the community mourned him as a hero. But Mrs. Parker just missed him. He was just my husband. <laughs> that, I mean, he was the center of my life. Whatever I could do to support him, I did that. Did I always agree with him? No. Did I always think he was right? No. <laughs> but I was, to the best of my ability, his biggest fan. Mrs. Parker says the impact he had made his hours away worth it. Although he was not with us a whole lot where that we would like for him to have been, but it was understandable and it was acceptable because he was a community person. He belonged to the community, not just to us. And people wouldn't forget him. Parker's place in the community was memorialized in 2017 when alumna Kathy Norman had the street leading up to Eastside High named after him. And they honored Parker with the music he taught them. Dozens of band alumni came together, some flying in from other states, many dusting their instruments off for the first time in decades to play at the dedication ceremony. They thought their reunion was temporary, but the community kept inviting them to play at more events in the years since. Gainesville missed the old band. 
They played at historically black churches and marched through the streets of historically black neighborhoods. They even marched right up to Mrs. Parker's house. And last month, for Black History Month, they marched into the auditorium of the school where it all began. Young had been skeptical how the East Side students would receive them. But then students started cheering, drumming their hands on their laps, dancing half out of their seats. It moved Young, who wants them to know their history. As the alumni band marched out, a student took the podium in the packed auditorium. He told his peers that the band alumni, through their resilience, are still performing to this day, together as one band, one sound. The principal said in an email that they have been inviting the alumni band to play at the school regularly. But several alumni say they're hoping to be more directly involved and would like to help students bring back some elements of the historically black style of marching. The band director did not respond to requests for an interview. Before I left Young's house, I had one final question for him. We were in his music room now and his amplifier was on. His answer made me stop and look up from my notepad. How do you think you would be different if you had never gone through Mr. Parker's band? Oh, I would have been on drugs. I would have been incarcerated. Probably been dead. Because, because of the, the, the pain that I was going through uh, during um, integration. Um, the pain that I went through when they took our school, <clears throat> a lot of people couldn't handle it. But when I met Mr. Parker, um, it, uh, that changed my whole direction of life. Young is one of many alumni who said Parker steered them away from prison and toward college and careers of service. Young made music his ministry. He became a supervising chaplain for the Florida Department of Corrections. After Hurricane Katrina, he became chaplain at a Louisiana mental health facility. And here I am bringing my music, and the patients, oh, I mean, they would be, they, they run to come to the chapel service because we, I had different music, I had different things, I brought me. Just like Parker, Young brought the hits. I didn't bring no, no tradition or that type of thing, that like old hymns and dragon, putting people to sleep. No, I brought this. Some of this music, I brought it. And I brought life to these people. I asked Young if he would play something for me. He put on a CD recording he made with his sister. It was his place that brought you 
Then Young pulled out the instrument that changed his life and did just what Mr. Parker taught him to do. He played. You can visit our website, wuft.org. For Report for America at WUFT News, I'm Katie Heisen.